Welcome to Season 3 of The Unforgiving 60 with your hosts, Ben Pronk and Tim Curtis. As two ex-SAS guys armed with MBAs, Ben and Tim seek out people leading lives less ordinary and talk with them about how they fill their unforgiving minutes and what helps them go always a little further. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Unforgiving 60. I'm Ben Pronk. And I'm Tim Curtis. And we are continuing on with season three. I keep like saying that. Mm. We've lasted longer than, I think, the British office only got two seasons. <laughs> yeah, but someone's paying them to be on. I, I kind of like the idea. I keep coming back to the this concept. I, I'm impressed that we haven't been cancelled yet. But how do you get cancelled? Yeah, no one, no one can cancel us. Is it possible, Yonku, to get cancelled from a podcast? Oh, he's nodding his head. He yeah. said it is. And and sort of intimating that he'd like to cancel us. I think he's, <laughs> yeah. if nothing else, sick well, of us. He's sat through over 100 episodes in that studio, yep. painfully so. Right, but we digress. Yes. Our guest this week, is. Tim. No, no, I've got a question before you introduce. How many push-ups can you do? Ooh, well, actually, as part of the fitness test in the army, what did you have to do, 100 to get top marks? I think that was top. I think it was bragging rights. I, th- I think top marks, and it was all scaled on your age. Um, I think for a 45-year-old, if you did three or something, you were you passed. It was the bar was pretty low, but 100 was generally the that was the, the standard, standard. Nearly and that was doing 100 in two minutes. Yes, I think there yeah, was a time yeah. limit. Yep, yep. yep. and, and you, obviously no you couldn't break. Could, correct. Yep. No part of your body could touch the ground except for your twos and your hands. But 100, yeah. But I could do three if that's the requirement for 45s. At your age, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're going to talk doing much more than that. We're going to talk about doing thousands of push-ups with this guest, Nick Hudson, from the Push-Up Challenge. Yeah, Nick's got a fascinating story which he's going to share with us. Um, very much a, a happy ending to the story, but but a, a few sort of rocky bumps along the way that has have led him to the idea of... Uh, creating the push-up challenge and to devoting his energy and pectoral strength Mm. to raising money for charity. Yeah, and you don't have to push up. We'll talk about that. If you can't do a push-up, you can do other things, and it's all for great causes. Can you do the ones off your knees? You can do one-arm push-ups. I cannot do one-arm push-ups. Handstand push-ups. Ooh. Mm, That's that's, a challenge. There you go. Mm, I did some of them and put put them on Instagram, and you commented on my beautiful camouflage shirt. Yeah, yeah, you're looking weird. And I like how you use that boomerang function on Instagram to make it look like you'd done a bunch of <laughs> you cranked out one and then just boomeranged it. <laughs> well, we don't, we won't get away with boomeranging in the push-up challenge. Um, but looking forward to having this conversation for such a young charity, they have done incredible things. I think 130,000 participants last wow. year, and they've distributed over $5 million to their beneficiaries. I look forward to hearing how they did it. Let's get on with the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Unforgiving 60. I'm Ben Pronk. And I'm Tim Curtis. And Tim... I asked you this in the intro, but did mm. you do any fizz today? Rest day. <laughs> rest week. You're on the growth phase, are you? Yeah, strung a few of those together. 
Well, I imagine our guest this week might have done some PT this morning, some physical training. Nick Hudson, how are you? Guys, I'm very well. Look, there's always time for push-ups in the day, <laughs> a rest day, a rest week. I call it will. There's always time to uh, get in some exercise. I'm, I'm super excited to be here today with you guys to talk about uh, the push-up challenge. Yeah, and your title is the best business card <laughs> title I have ever seen, Nick Hudson chief of push-ups. This, this, this is true. It's something that my team sort of tries to encourage. We're trying to embrace that whole, you know, Silicon Valley, you know, exciting titles thing. So, uh, yeah, you probably wouldn't um, um, assume that title by looking at me, but uh, I guess that's my job now. Now, what, what would you be? What would your C-suite title? Chief of donuts. <laughs> <laughs> chief of burgers. <laughs> well, hang on. We both did eat a burger last night. Yeah, yeah. Let's not go there. Um, <laughs> go. Well, this is about push-ups, not about nutrition, but I guess the two go hand in hand. And we're going to talk about the push-up char- uh, challenge and charity in a little while. But the conversation that got you to arriving at the decision that you would start a charity and it would be about push-ups seems pretty conventional. But can you talk about your upbringing and sort of what got you to the moment where you decided to do a push-up? Yeah, sure thing, Tim. So I, I guess I had a fairly normal upbringing, uh, typical suburban boy, uh, suburbs of Melbourne. Uh, parents were very supportive of me and my brother growing up, just a standard sort of uh, suburban life. Went to uni, did all that stuff. Sorry, I've got to jump in because when you say normal upbringing, are we glossing over the open heart surgery at four <laughs> years of age? <laughs> That's going to, uh, yeah, okay. So, right, you're absolutely right. So at the age of um, four, I had to go into uh, to hospital to have um, parts of my heart um, repaired, mm-hmm. uh, something they identified at birth. It was a congenital uh, heart defect, mm. a little hole in my um uh, my aortic valve, yep. uh, which they had to uh, go in and repair. So that was uh, a long time ago now. <laughs> I can't remember it. My parents surely remember it. Yeah, <laughs> it's God, pretty traumatic. For, yeah. yeah, yeah, pretty traumatic for them uh, at the time. But after that, um, so they went in, did some stuff, and then from then on, I had a you know um, a normal life. Mm-hmm. I was, was running with the rest of them, uh, doing push-ups with the rest of them, you know, all that. So that was the age of four. Uh, so yeah, maybe a minor blip in, minor the, blip <laughs> in the normality, in the normality yep. of uh, growing up. Apart from that, you know, um, yeah. So school, uni in Melbourne, started working and all that that, that sort of stuff. About about the age of um, about the age of thirty, I think it was. Um, I was out to dinner with my parents. Um, we were sitting down. Dad went to the bathroom, and all of a sudden, Mum just started. Mum just burst into tears. Mm-hmm. She's burst into tears. This is myself and my mum. Dad had gone off. I was like, mum, what's up? She said, Nick, I've got something to tell you. I've been meaning to tell you for a while, but it's been so hard. But I think now's the time. I was like, okay. And, you know, she was crying. And I was like, well, what's up? I said, oh, your dad, he suffers from depression. And I was like, oh, okay. What's that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and mum, I didn't, didn't quite, no, this is what I was thinking, didn't exactly say that. I was just trying to support my mum. She's yeah. crying. I was like, well, what the hell's going on? And um, anyhow, this went on for a couple of minutes and mum's just like, you know, it's been going on for years and, and, and you know, didn't know how to, how to tell you or your brother. Um, Dad came back from the bathroom and he was all, you know, cheery. And then he saw mum, he's like, oh, what's going on? And, and mum said, oh, look, sorry, Terry, but I had to tell Nick. And he's like, oh, okay. And he looked a bit sort of worried, ashamed. Mm. And uh, and I was like, oh, hang on, it's okay. And yeah, that, that spawned, that moment mm. spawned, I guess, an adventure for me in mental health. Was that your first encounter with depression? 
I'd actually, um, first a counselor that was very close to home. Yeah. Later high school, uh, I lost a couple of, I guess, more distant friends to suicide. Mm. Um, so not close acquaintances, but people I knew of. Uh, so it was a bit of a distant thing there, sort of a sort of a nebulous concept, um, not something I experienced firsthand, something yeah. that sort of had me asking questions. But it wasn't until that moment mm. with my mum breaking down in that restaurant, I was like, well, hang on a sec, what's this? And it's really funny, and, and I hope to explore this later in the conversation, but it is so prevalent. You know, the statistics of yes. depression in Australia, um, I do not know, but mm. I know they're high. Um, but the fact that most of us don't know, well, actually, what is this? And, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this a well, bit that, more. That, you raise a really good point, Ben. So most people don't even identify mm. that it's happening to them. But yeah. in terms of the statistics, um, yeah, 45% of Australians will experience some sort of mental disorder in their lifetime. Mm. 45%. Mm. So, uh, so this this thing happened with my parents, and it was quite a um, eye opening moment for me. And from there, I just oh, hang on, say, what is this? I need to learn about it. Um, it turns out that Dad had been suffering from depression for two decades, mm. and Mum had decided to not tell my brother or I about that. So, single handedly, Mum took on the burden yeah. of dealing with her her partner, our, my dad, yeah. my dad's troubles. Which was I was, I was sort of angry with her. I, I grew to be sort of angry with her, yeah. uh, angry at her about this because, like, Mum, why didn't you tell me? Uh, my brother and I, we, we could have we could have helped, but she, you know, she was my parents are absolutely amazing, yeah. so supportive, and they didn't want to burden my brother or I um, about this. So look, that that triggered my my interest in mental health, yeah. and from there I went away, did the. <laughs> Did the Googling, all that sort of stuff. It's like, all right, well, what is this thing? Mm. Um, and I learned, well, hang on a sec, learned, you know, 45% stat, yeah. learned, learned all these other stats. I thought, hang on a minute. How come, now this is a few years ago now. Yeah. How come I haven't been exposed? How come I didn't know about this? Yeah. How come I don't know what depression is? How come I don't know this, this 45%? 45%? Yeah. How do I not know? This? So uh, I thought, well, hang on, I want to do something more in the mental health space. So... Before we go any further, what is depression? What did you find from your your research? And, and you know, I, I guess there's a, a whole range of different symptoms and a different um, ways that it impacts people. But but what are we talking about here? Yeah, sure thing. So um, I, I guess one of my misconceptions at the start was it's just, it was just sadness. The depression's about mm. being sad. Yeah. That's not the case. And, and you hear a pretty popular uh, Australian term, uh, she'll be right, mate. Mm. Or, or get over it, mm. or get on with it, that sort of thing. It doesn't cut it anymore, and we can't use that. All right, it's not a case of uh, just go and you know, watch a comedy <laughs> or, or, or catch up with your mates or look up some funny memes. That's, that's you know, that won't get you through a depression. Mm. A depression is a, a sustained state uh, that's biological, mm-hmm. and it's, it, it's, there's no sort of quick fix to get out of it. There's quite a few, having said that, there's quite a few very good people out there and a growing body of, of, um, of um, psychologists and GPs that are there to support people with uh, depression, anxiety, bipolar, all those um, mental disorders. Okay, And if, if people, if listeners, uh, for instance, um, think that, oh, hang on, there might be something going on their li- in their life they want to um, talk to someone about, well, in an emergency case, you should uh, call Lifeline mm-hmm. straight away. They are great. If you want to have just a chat with someone about it, talk to your GP. Mm. GPs, they're trained for this thing, this sort of thing. All right. 
So in, in my um, recent experience with depression, I brought it up with my GP, who was so supportive. And then we had more of a general chat about depression, and, and she told me about how many patients she had had that day who were just there to see her about depression. Mm. So it was. So they are trained for it. So if there's any, any listeners that are like, mm, I think there's something going on, or, or I can't put my finger on it, have a chat with your GP. Yeah, They are trained for this. It, it really hits home to me just through Christmas. A, a close ex-army friend of, um, of mine died and he had depression. Um, we always know that he had a depressive personality, mm. but the clinical diagnosis of depression we didn't find out until quite recently. Ironically, he died trying to get himself through that and while exercising. Um, but one of the interesting things when we did reconnect in the last 12 months and we were seeing him frequently, you know, you want to fix the problem. Yes. You know, that, that's the natural behaviour, yes. I think, particularly for guys that have been in the military and, you know, you've, they're your peers, but you have You're talking about as a friend? Of, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sure. You, you think, yeah, I can, surely I can fix this. Yeah. But it's far more complex. And I, I asked him, um, you know, what, what can we do for you? Mm. And the point he made, which I think was quite poignant, he says, you're already doing it. You're just connecting and staying in touch and, and regularly being that po- po- uh, point of call. Because um, he recognised the, you know, naturally he'd been diagnosed, but he recognised the depression in himself. He was on medication, but just being there as a friend and actually not needing to do anything Tim, was really powerful y- y- for him. You raise a really good point. And if you're anything like me, you see someone in trouble, um, whatever that trouble is, and you're like, oh, I want to help you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you want to sort of overtly <laughs> intervene in the situation and you know help that person. So you see, you know, a child that's hungry, you want to feed them. Um, yeah, you, know, you, you see someone who, who you know struggling to get across the road, you want to you want to help them get across the road. Mm. Um, with depression, you see someone who's depressed, and you may think, all right, well, I want to make you happy. Mm-hmm. But it's not that simple. Exactly. It's not about going to see a comedy. It's not about looking up funny yeah. memes. It's it's something a lot more deeper than that. It's not just an in-the-moment thing. This isn't going to be fixed for the person within the next hour or next half a day. This is a journey with them. Mm-hmm. So um, you're absolutely right, absolutely right, Tim. The first thing you can do is, is not judge them mm. All right, and just be there for them. And in a lot of these cases, they don't know the solution. Science still doesn't have a solid, Mm. just do this. There's a few things you can do, and we'll talk about those, to to prevent the um, chance of of getting depression um, and some things you can do to to help manage it. But as as, as normal people, as us, Mm. we're not doctors or clinicians, there's um, there's only so much we can do. But the main thing is is to not judge them and be there for them. leads on to another point you know if almost half the population has mm. some sort of personal experience with a depressive episode or mental health illness um, throughout their lives why is there such a stigma um, attached to it or a perceived stigma yeah that, that, that's a really good question but I, I think it it seems to be uh, look look at our culture in Australia right we're, we're, we're tough you know we're, we're you know there's a whole blokey thing going on um, it, it's been with us for for decades, mm. uh, we're not as open to uh, to talking about our our feelings. 
Um, and in fact, if you look at the suicide stats, uh, the vast majority of people who take their own lives in Australia are men. Mm. Uh, and one of the theories behind that is that men are, are a lot less likely to open up about um, their their problems, their mm. troubles. There's some other things in there as well around sort of the mechanism of, of taking their own life. But yeah. in, in terms of um, the stigma, look, it's real mm. in Australia. And uh, when I started looking into this after that experience with, with my parents in that restaurant that, that fateful evening, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I had that challenge as well. I started talking to some mates. I said, well, hang on, what's this? And some of them, you know, <laughs> they got a bit squirmish. They thought, oh, look, I don't want to talk about, not, not about suicide, but just about depression. Yeah. They just, they didn't want to, they want to chat about it. So, oh, I don't know. It's this thing, you know, it's this thing. They may have even suffered it themselves and not, not um, identified it. And that's, that's a real thing. Because depression, quite often, it's not a thing that just happens. Right? It's not, oh, I you know, just lost my job or lost my partner um, and, and then they slip into depression. It could be something that, that you slip into gradually over time. Mm. And because it's that, you heard that, that boiling frog? Frog and boiling uh, yeah, water. I, yeah. It's, it's like that, right? So you, you, you gradually don't even, don't even notice it. So you're slipping into it over time. And sometimes it takes that event where you, know, you snap at someone, this is out of character, or um, you, know, you do something unusual mm. for for the individual to recognise and go, oh, hang on a sec, this isn't me, what's going on? Mm. Um, or for a mate or a family a family member of theirs to go, hang on, buddy, yeah. <laughs> what's happening? You, you're not yourself. Yeah, the, and, and just reflecting on my experience in the last month, the last thing you want to be doing as a friend is sitting at a funeral working out what you could have done. Oh, God. And the, yeah. if I had my time again, which naturally I can't, I would have persisted in... Uh, earlier trying to interact because I, this um, this friend of mine, he would always cancel. You know, you would try and make a plan, he'd cancel yeah, right yeah, at the yeah. last minute. Yeah. And after they do that a few times, you think, oh, it drifts off your social radar. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll just, I'll try and do it again, but it'll cancel. So what's the and point? It's harder for you because a lot of people actually don't like you. Very much. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that was I'm, it. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm cancelling a lot but, of our but stuff. It, but it was about <laughs> yeah. him not wanting to bother us. I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, like, yeah, I, I, I don't feel really like catching point. up. I don't want to. Bo- I don't want to bother you. I'm taking your time out. Okay. Yeah. So it was the the position of a friend who is looking at another mate who has it. You've just got to persist, so, don't you? Yeah, you do. But Tim, straight up, mate, you, you cannot take this on yourself. Mm. Like if, if you're at this point now where you're reflecting on your relationship with this with this person and going, well, you know, what more could have I done? Mm. Which could lead to, well, hang on a sec, this is partially my fault. Mm. That's not healthy. Mm. Okay? And with with so so straight up, with with the you know, over three thousand lives lost to suicide every year, yeah. think about how many friends and family mm. Are affected. Uh, are affected by that yeah. and could be asking similar questions to yourself, right? Which could get that person down. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, so, first of all, mate, be fair to yourself. You, you did a reasonable amount, mm. okay? Second of all, yeah, could you have done more? <laughs> we can only do so much. Mm. We've got our own stuff to deal with, mm. right? Sure, look after your mates, but you know, think about number one, mm. okay? And there are some very qualified people out there to help them. Now, in terms of, of being there for them. And and, and yourself being resilient Mm. (laughs) in approaching your mate and just like that, not just sort of backing off, but come on, let's let's do something. Mm. Um, I think that's important. Uh, Certainly the the perspective you mentioned of, um, you know, the person who's going through some stuff, potentially thinking, oh, I don't want to bother 
bother yeah. my friends. Um, I, I think that's real, but I think you know you've got to continue to try and be there for them without yeah. ramming it, you know, down down their throat. Another a good way to talk to people um, I've heard, particularly with guys, um, but also with also with women, is um, that accidental chat you have. So if you've got you know, if there's a mate that you're um, you're worried about, or a family member you're worried about, uh, it's not just sitting down with them, face to face in a you know cafe or across the kitchen table, and saying, "Hey, what's going on?" It's that the value could be, the opportunity could be in that incidental chat mm. you're having as you're driving along, okay, or as you're going for a walk, or you're doing something else. Right, let's go keep the footy. Yep. Let's go have a hit of tennis. Let's go for a walk around the lake. All right, you're not even bringing it up. You're just giving them giving them the chance in an environment where they can escape from the conversation very easily, or change the topic very easily. Oh, check out that tree, or yeah, yeah. You know, keep the footy over here. Or, you know. so you're giving the person an opportunity to talk in a non-confrontational environment. So um, coming back to to your example, Tim. Well, first of all, I think it's fantastic that that, that you um yeah you you made these opportunities. Um, for your mate, again, you can only do so much. Uh, I guess the challenge to us in, in supporting others is continually trying to be there for them without sort of you know, uh, jumping on them and saying, you know, sometimes um, I guess maybe being a bit more overt with that um, could help, but uh, you don't want to put the pressure on too much. So we've got this enormous problem in Australia, mm. impacting almost half the population. I'm still at a loss as to how push-ups are going to happen. <laughs> I'm well, hoping you're going you're to bring us around. I've got a quotable quote, um, one from you. Uh, you said, if I didn't have such relentlessly competitive mates, the push-up challenge may never have happened. This is, this is true. This is true. So, um, yeah, push-ups, push-ups. So, uh, so yeah, I went through that experience with my parents and, mm. and learned about mental health from there. And, and I guess I've, I've been involved in a couple of mental health uh, things uh, since then. But um, a number of years ago, um, or a few years ago, it was, uh, it, it was winter. And, um, <clears throat> you know, mates and I are pretty active. We spend a lot of time at the beach and, you know, and all that sporty stuff. And um, it was winter, and you know, we maybe let ourselves go, go a little bit <laughs> for a couple of months because um, it's a bit harder to exercise over winter, right? Mm. And um, all right, what can we do to get our beach bodies back for summer? Classic cut up for summer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Panic. <laughs> Quick. Um, how can we get our bodies back? So um, we, we'd, done, we'd done this for a few years, but we decided to sort of um, make it more of a thing. And uh, we challenged ourselves to do. Um, 3,000 push-ups in a month. And uh, we started and, um, you know, it was going well. Um, our mates were giving us bulk shit for doing our uh, push-ups in the most random locations, like in the pub, in the park, at work, et cetera. And, um, uh, but whilst they were sort of bagging us out, I was like, oh, hang on, what's this? What are you doing? Mm. Um, they were sort of interested. So um, so myself and the three mates, the four mates started doing this thing. And we are like, oh, um, well, why don't, well, how, how do we track these push-ups? How, how do we measure um, you know, what we're doing? Because we just had a, like a messenger group and we say, oh, I just did 10, 10, 20. It was really hard. So what, um, being a bit, you know, being interested in tech, um, I uh, found a guy who helped me out and I developed an app 
uh, to help us um, record our push-ups and see how everyone's going. That app cost us, cost me, two hundred dollars <laughs> to build. It was the most simplest, boring little screen thing you'd ever seen, mm-hmm. uh, but it worked perfectly for us, and we didn't care that it would break and all that sort of thing. It was just a website, anyhow. Mm. So we built that, but uh, once we had this little app working, it's like, oh. Wouldn't it be good if the app could do this and you could do that? <laughs> and it's like, all right. So I then this $200 thing ended up, you know, expanding quickly. Yeah, yeah. Because I was like, oh, wouldn't it be great? Of course, I was developing all these features in the app. My mates did not care at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, guys, you can send messages to each other now with the app. Like, uh, okay. Okay, we're not going to use it for that. Have but. you got to the point where you can put it between your shoulder blades and it actually counts? <laughs> yeah. Or better yet, it measures depth because I reckon I've mm. seen a few of your push-ups mm. and I, I don't think we're getting short, short upper arms parallel, uh, perpendicular. We're not a uh, really good point. We get that question. <laughs> <laughs> we get that question reasonably, reasonably often, but not not quite yet. Maybe in the coming years. So, yeah. so we started off with this um, this, this this app and you know, mates doing it uh, year one and. Um, yeah, again, um, friend saw us doing it. Oh, hang on, what's this? And I thought, well, hang on a second, why don't we turn this into something? And uh, so, again, being you know sort of passionate in the mental health space, uh, year two decided to, to turn it into something. So what year are we in now, 2018? Oh, so, <laughs> great question. So year one was 2017. Uh, so year, yeah, so year one was 2017 with four guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're coming into 2018 now. Mm-hmm. All right. So moving into 2018, it's like, all right, let's let's turn this into a bit of a thing. Uh, so I put a bit more, a bit more money into the app, um, put together a website, and spread the word. And um, and yeah, we had over a thousand people doing it uh, across Australia. And that was just from friends and friends of friends. I still remember the moment where I saw someone you know, using the app who I didn't didn't know. <laughs> that's like, pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So it's, it's a little milestones, right? It's a little milestones. Yeah, yeah, yeah when you get out of it, what is yeah. it, friends, fools and family, the sort of <laughs> initial adopters and then... then Anyone who does this many push-ups has got to be a fool. <laughs> so, um, yeah, once, once you get out of that, um, out of your, your, your inner circle, you're like, oh, hang on a sec, this is This, this is, cool. is a thing. This is mm. a thing. Mm. So we got a thousand people and, and one of the milestones for me was... Um, uh, yeah, having someone out of my circle who's doing it. Another milestone was um, as part of that 2018 event was having someone in every state of Australia mm-hmm. taking part. Um, you guys may have experienced this excitement when you're growing your podcast as well, <laughs> seeing uh, listeners grow across uh, Australia and the world. Uh, but yeah, it was pretty exciting to see um, see it grow. Uh, it's pretty exciting to see all the push-ups tick over. And next minute, you know, we've done collectively a million push-ups. Mm, and um, yeah, and then uh, at the end of that in 2018, we'd raised fifty thousand dollars. Um, for mental health, which I was just mm. over the moon yeah. about. So, okay, that's that's really really cool. So that was um, that was 2018. So coming out of that 2018 event, uh, I was pretty excited. It's like, all right, look what we achieved: thousand people, fifty thousand dollars for mental health. That's great stuff. I wonder, I wonder how far, um, <laughs> I wonder how far we can take this. And um, I was having these thoughts. I was like, oh, we can do this and that. And my friends are like, okay, Nick, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> he's um, up tiger. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's up tiger. Uh, so the guys that, you know, the, the, the four guys started with, they'd, um, you know, by this stage, they'd sort of backed off and they're you know, busy with their own lives. And yeah, Nick, you do, you do whatever you're doing there. And uh, so, yeah, it's like, all right, well, how can we make this bigger for 2019? Just as I was 
this is where things go downhill. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's always an obstacle that yeah, appears yeah, in the way. Yes, yes, and hence the resilience thing. Mm-hmm. So coming out of the 2018 events, um, super excited, super buoyed by all this. Uh, of course, you know, had my normal job um, as an engineer, which you know very much enjoyed, um, and trying to manage this push-up thing you know, around that. Uh, I thought, all right, let, let's make this bigger. But just as that, you know, just as having these grand ambitions, um, I uh, was exercising one day and I was like, well, hang on a sec, hang on a sec. I know I'm unfit at the moment. This is, this is um, you know, a couple of months after push-ups. I know I'm unfit at the moment, but this is this is next level. Something's not right. Something's not right. And uh, so anyhow, you know, not being, um, yeah, I, I put that aside as many um Mm-hmm. people can do um, particularly guys not not focused on their health too much hmm. um, and uh, um, anyhow I had a <laughs> I had a, a big weekend uh, I remember this weekend had a particularly big weekend uh, you know out in the town celebrating life and um, I got to work on the, on the Monday I was like oh I, I need a I need something to help me out so I went and grabbed a coffee and uh, I, I'd never drink coffee. I just don't drink coffee. It's not part of my routine. Mm. Um, uh, so I never have it. So I had the coffee and the caffeine hit me and uh, my heart started going nuts. Mm. It went berserk. It was, it, it's hard to explain. It was fluttering. It felt like it was just doing strange things. There was a little bit of pain there. It was like, oh, this, this isn't good. Must have been a bad coffee, right? Mm. <laughs> so um, that pain and fluttering lasts about half an hour. Now, a normal person mm-hmm. would have gone to hospital, and I'd encourage anyone <laughs> that experiences uh, chest pains or anything like that to go to hospital. Mm. Right? Hospitals or ED departments are very well equipped for this sort of thing, and there's some serious stats out there about guys being tough and not going to hospital and therefore, you know, Mm. Um, potentially dying as a result of not going to hospital. So guys out there, got chest pains, go to freaking hospital. <laughs> Anyone. <laughs> anyway, this guy, half an hour passes, pain subsides, fluttering stops. Like, oh, okay. That was unusual. I'll pretend to forget. I'll, I'll, I'll forget about it. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, I hadn't thought about my heart for years, if not decades. I was in denial. About so for decades, mm. I'd sort of forgotten about my heart condition, and um, was trying to you know put it behind me. Oh, that was something I had when I was four. Um, it's not real. I'm a normal person. Mm. Uh, I don't have to deal with that. So when this episode happened, I was like, oh no, no, no. Mm. it's it's not real. It's it's nothing. Don't worry about it. So that night, um, yeah, next day, came to work. For some reason, I thought, oh, I'll just get a coffee again. <laughs> same coffee, <laughs> same place, same result. I was like, okay, this this isn't right. Now I'll do something about it. Went and saw my GP um, who took some tests. Um, then went and did some other tests. And then um, I still remember the moment, um, um, like a day or two later when she called me and she said, Nick, don't do any exercise and you need to see your cardiologist, you need to see a cardiologist as soon as possible. And that started the, I guess, the journey, my 
um, my uh, journey with depression. Mm. So, so you, ha- you had to go back in for another open heart surgery? Yes. Yes. So um, so I was in denial about the whole thing. I uh, saw a cardiologist who um, told me that my heart was stuffed and I'd have to have, to have part of it replaced. Now, was that the official? <laughs> when I, when I, We've done some tests and it's conclusive. Look, it's a medical, it's a medical term. <laughs> so, uh, being the the um, you know, stubborn guy I can be at, at sometimes, um, I decided to reject that that um, that opinion. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, what does what does this expert know <laughs> that has been studying it for uh, for you know many many years? Uh, <laughs> silly me. Um, and so I went and got a second opinion from another cardiologist who told me exactly the same <laughs> thing. Mm-hmm. Being the stubborn guy that I am, mm-hmm. I was like, thank you, sir, for your opinion. But I'm going to get a third opinion. Because this was a kind of big deal for me. If yeah. I had to have this surgery, it would mean, um, well, first of all, no one likes surgery, right? Uh, second of all, they'd have to change out parts of my heart so that um, basically I'd be on this drug for the rest of my life and I couldn't eat what I wanted, I couldn't drink what I wanted, and all these you know, first-wheel problems. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was sort of rejecting it. Okay? So I went and saw this third cardiologist who looked at results, looked me in the eye, said, Nick, stop wasting your money on cardiologists <laughs> and get your heart fixed. Come on. So, so, all right, cool. Um, so I was slipping into depression at this point, massive denial. Mm. Um, I didn't notice. I didn't even notice. So I'm, yeah, I've been in the mental health space for a while, um, and I didn't even recognize it within myself that I was slipping. Okay. Saw the surgeon. He's like, all right, this is what's going to happen. Um, I'm going to book it in for you know a um, couple of months' time. Um and and then over that couple of months leading up to the surgery, I really, really hit like low times. Um, didn't tell my friends about this. It took me ages to tell my family about it. I didn't want to burden my parents, you know, with this. Just like my mum didn't want to burden mm-hmm. me with knowledge mm-hmm. of my dad um, suffering from depression. So I I didn't involve anyone. So maybe a bit like your mate Tim, I rejected people's help. Thought mm-hmm. I didn't even you know, I didn't invite it in any way. Can I ask a question, Nick, and it's a peculiar one, but what does depression feel like? Yeah, okay. So I've heard, uh, I think it was Churchill, who referred to it as his black dog. Mm. And and I think that's a, a good way to visualize it. Imagine this this sort of force just, just taking all the joy out of, out of your life. So nothing makes you happy. Your favorite foods mean nothing. Um, Funny things mean nothing. Sex means nothing. It it strips all the joy out of your life. And it feels bland and, and helpless. And as I mentioned earlier, when if you slip into it, as most people do, you, you get into it sort of slowly. You don't know you're heading there, right? If, if you hit your finger <laughs> with a with a hammer, you know about it. You're like, oh, okay, that just happened. Um, um, it really hurts, and but I'm going to get over it pretty soon. 
Okay, you know the cause of, of you know mechanism of injury. And I was going to say it yeah. can help you rationalise and understand yes. why you feel bad because I just hit the, the hammer. hammer. Yeah, 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 exactly yeah. right. But depression, you, first of all, you don't know you're there because yeah. it's a gradual thing in the boiling frog thing. Mm. And then you, you may not know why. Now I had in this case, you know, I had a, a story, a reason behind it. Yeah, pretty, um, pretty good reason. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but um, you don't need one. Mm. It could be just a shift in your. Um, in your internal chemistry over time, which can happen to a lot of people. All right, so you don't need that that hammer on the finger. You don't need that that um, that the event, catalyst. that yeah. catalyst. Yeah. So, what does it feel like? It, it feels it can feel helpless, um, and yeah, it, it can. Uh, someone else, um, yeah, someone else uh, referred to it as um, a glimpse of hell, where you just. You just don't know what to... I mean, can you imagine a life where, um, you know, you, the food you loved no longer bringing you any joy? This TV show you look forward to. Um, you know, can you imagine The Bachelor not giving you any joy, guys? Can you imagine, you know? <laughs> hey? it's, no. That's Bachelor in Paradise, too. Oh, Bachelor in Paradise? Yeah. <laughs> can, can you... Um, yeah. but, and, and relationship. You mentioned yes. sex before, yes. but even, even friendships, yeah. family. So, yeah, um, relationships, particularly partners, can find this really hard. They may not recognise it in the partner. They just think they're you know, becoming distant in a relationship. Okay, oh, that person doesn't love me anymore. They, they may, but, um, you know... It's it's hard to recognise it. Depression um, is at the um, at the core of that. Uh, yeah, so it really does take the joy out of life. It's it's a terrible thing. And you'd seen mm. it before in your father. Did you recognise it in yourself at the time? Were you able to to you know rock back on your heels and say this is depression? No. Mm. How crazy is that? No. So, so I so I you know despite yeah. <laughs> But, but, but yeah. it goes to the point of how insidious this problem is, that mm. even someone with an understanding, with first-hand experience, mm. as you did at that stage, is so difficult to diagnose in yourself. Yeah. And so at the time that you've just described, you didn't recognise it. Now you can. W- was there a point where, you, you know, you, you came to that, that sort of, realization that no this is depression or was that a gradual thing as well yeah okay that's a really good question um i was so caught up in what i thought were all the problems of my life and getting really worked up about this surgery that i was not focusing on sort of my my (laughs) my wellness if you like on my mental state and i was putting it i was you know focusing on this thing um, this upcoming event, and not thinking about what I'm doing, and you know, again, it rejected friends' support, um, family. I started to involve in it, uh, but I, I remember afterwards some some mates saying, "Nick, why didn't you tell us about first of all about your surgery, mm. uh, mm. and second of all about you know what you're going through?" So I just I thought, oh, no, no, I, you know, again, I don't want to burden my mates, yeah. don't want to bother you, and um, you know, I'm I'm stronger than that. Yeah. What was worse, the open heart surgery or the depression? <laughs> I'm talking open heart surgery and recovery from that or the depression. Yeah, cool. So uh, look, another great, great question. So the um, the surgery was tough. Um, coming out of it was tougher. So the surgery itself, I mean, yeah, eight hours, it's not long. <laughs> um, and I remember when I, when I first learned that I had to have, have this done, I was talking to my boss 
uh, said, oh, mate, I've got to go in for some surgery. Uh, I need to have a couple of weeks off work. He's like, oh, okay. And um, then talking to the surgeon, uh, I said, oh, you know, can you uh, write me a sick note? He said, ah, oh, yeah, no worries, here you go. And the sick note was for, um, for three months. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, hang on, what's this? He said, oh, you know, it, it could be, it could be uh, three months, you don't know. I said, oh, well, I told my boss two weeks. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> no, no, no chance. I was like, okay, so I, I, I hadn't done any research on it. I didn't know how big a deal it was. Um, but the surgery itself, whilst um, difficult to recover from, I did not deal with it well. Uh, in, in the build-up, I wasn't dealing with it well. The recovery was I was particularly unprepared for it. And, and just to provide a bit more sort of detail, and correct me if I'm wrong, but mm. you had a thing called a Ross procedure where yeah. they swap your aortic valve with your pulmonary valve, yep. put in a new pulmonary valve. I mean, they change PowerPoints. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dr. That's another Curtis. technical term. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah, so um, do, you want, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Because it's pretty cool. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. So the um, so in talking to these these cardiologists, they're like, all right, got to have your, your heart change, your thing fixed. And so it was one valve which was particularly dodgy, right? The main mm-hmm. valve in your heart, the aortic valve, was dodgy. And they're like, oh, that one needs to be fixed. And the options were to take that out and replace it either with a mechanical valve mm-hmm. Um, or a, um, what I call it, a tissue valve, which is either from a human or for a pig or from a cow. You'd definitely go the cyborg option, yeah. wouldn't you? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I'm well, thinking Iron Man, like some little yeah, nuclear yeah, yeah, right. device that is, is powers that, you up. <laughs> is that a thing? <laughs> I think it's a thing. Okay, I saw it. Right. <laughs> On TV. So I saw the um, I saw the Iron Man option. Uh, I, I saw the other options, and, and the, the cardiologist is, is showing me the, the Iron Man option. He's showing me the the mechanical valve, and he said, "Oh yeah, here it is." And you know, it's a it's a thing, and he, and he and he makes it sort of work in this little model thing he has, and it ticks. You can hear it, you know, every time it pumps, mm. it ticks. I was like, "Oh, that's cool." He said, "Yeah, you'll probably hear that at night." Mm. Sure, you can just get a bit of grease in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just silicon or something. Lube it up. WD forty graphite powder. More technical uh, yeah. medical terms. But can you imagine lying yeah. there at night no. and just tick tick tick? If that was me, I'd hear the ticking. I'd get anxious, and the ticking would get faster, and then oh god. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, I'm not sure. I want the mechanical valve, and mm-hmm. then you got to go on warfarin. Not sure mm. if, you, if you know about warfarin, but yes. warfarin is a thing. You have to have blood tests all the time to yeah. make sure your blood's being thinned out the right way and you can't drink too much, you can't eat these certain foods. And I was like, oh, God, I don't want that. Mm. I don't want the ticking and I don't want things. So, okay, doctor, um, not too keen on the mechanical one. Um, what about the tissue ones? I said, look, tissue ones are great, but they only last 10 years. So awesome for elderly patients, but Nick, you're a fair way off that. So we recommend mechanical valve. And I was freaking out. I was like, I don't want this ticking thing. I don't want, you know, just completely rejecting reality, right? Imagine in the airport line at security <laughs> when you're ticking. <laughs> tick, tick, tick. <laughs> and setting off the alarm because you've got metal. Yeah. yeah. So, I, so I, I pushed back on that. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm not keen on that. And um, I was talking to a cardiologist and I was really, getting really anxious about this. I said, mate. I am not keen on this. Mm. He said, well, do you want to do you live or not? Yeah, pretty simple, isn't it? <laughs> pretty yeah. simple. And I said, well, I do, but, you know. Um, I don't want to tick. I don't want to tick. I want to tick, but not tick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, and you know, just about to finish that consult, and he's he went into this, you know, he, he had this look on his face. He said, "He said, hang on a sec, there might be something else." I was like, "I, I said, you have my attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is option C? You know, we talked about mechanical valve option A, tissue valve option B. What, what's what's option C?" And he said, "Well, there's this thing," and he was looking really uncertain. There's this thing called, um, as I said, Ben, the Ross procedure. And the Ross procedure is, um, there's only one or two surgeons that do it in Australia. So it's not that common. And what they do is they take out your dodgy valve, right, Uh, the aortic valve, which is under a lot of pressure and working really hard to um, pump blood around your body, okay? So they take that one out and they replace that with your pulmonary valve, okay, which is about the same size and the pulmonary, pulmonary valve is there to pump blood only to your lungs. Oh God, I hope I'm getting this right. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be. Wrong. Does that sound yeah. about right? Yeah. Um, so, so the one that pumps blood just to your lungs is under a lot less pressure, right? Just only there's only a little bit of blood in there. Nothing compared to the aortic valve. So they take out the pulmonary valve and they put that in the place of the aortic valve. Mm. All right. Then you're left with the problem of hang on a sec. <laughs> You, miss, you kind of need that pulmonary valve. You kind of, you kind yeah. of need the lungs to work. So you, so you still need that. So what's going to happen to the pulmonary valve? So what they then do is they get a tissue valve, which only lasts 10 years in the place of the aortic valve because it's under so much pressure. Yeah. But in the place of the pulmonary valve, which is much lower pressure, it can last a long time, right. fingers crossed. Mm. So they call this thing the, the, the Ross procedure. Okay. So this cardiologist mentioned that. He says, oh, there's this Ross procedure you should look at. Oh, okay. He said, oh, but it's kind of hard. And, you know, the surgeon, you know, may not want to, you know, may, may not see you as a candidate. So I had to apply to the surgeon and to write this letter to the surgeon to basically beg him to consider me as a candidate. And so, um, you know, I wrote to him, we did his test, and he said, oh, okay, I think you're a candidate for it. So like, yes, there's hope. There's hope that I'm not going to tick. Well, I'm going to tick, but not tick. <laughs> <laughs> So anyhow, that adventure continued, and, and I went to um, to Melbourne. So you know, currently live in Perth, and I went to Melbourne to have the surgery uh, with the surgeons based. And um, and he said, "Oh, Nick," you know, the surgeon said, "Oh, Nick," he's a great guy, by the way. Um, the surgeon said, "Oh, look, there's no guarantee that this the Ross procedure will be successful, uh, or that we can do it." I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Well, we won't know until we open you up." Whether the round plug fits in the round hole, <laughs> whether they're not filling me with confidence. yeah, yeah, right, yeah, right. So they can do tests on the heart, but the thing with the heart is it's continuously moving. <laughs> so when they try and do scans on it, um, it's really hard to try and work out sizes of things. So they've got you know, echocardiograms and all that sort of stuff, yeah. um, but it's it's really hard to know. And these these surgeons just don't know until they open you up because your pulmonary valve might be slightly the wrong size, mm-hmm. um, and so it cannot cannot fit it um, to the swap can happen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they open you up and then they they then make a decision around whether you can – they'll go forward with the Ross procedure, which is the good one, or they go ahead with the mechanical valve. Iron Man. Iron Man. <laughs> so and, – and I can't remember the stats around how many, you know, but um, quite a few. They're like, oh, no, you just don't open you up. They crack you open. Like, yeah, no, nah, that's not going to work. Iron Man. Now, mm. I didn't want Iron Man because I enjoy beer occasionally. Mm-hmm. I enjoy eating whatever I want, and I don't want a ticket night. Okay, yeah. um, despite having glow because he glowed. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, all right, 
Glowing could be cool though. Maybe, yeah, glowing so. be cool. But yeah. at night as well, you're ticking and glowing. It's not ticking good. and glowing. Yeah, you know, no, that would be a, that yeah. be a walking night light <laughs> after dark. <laughs> Imagine the nicknames I could have had if I. Uh, anyhow, so um, so they get the Ross procedure done. Well, here's the thing, right? So I'll wake up from my surgery. Do you want me talking about this a little bit further? Or is yeah, this, yeah, this yeah. Is good. Yeah. Right. So here's the thing, right? So I go in for the surgery and, and uh, um, yeah. They prepare you. They give you some things. You go in there basically for a day-long orientation to the hospital, and they show you everything. Um, but it still doesn't prepare you. And anyhow, um, surgery itself is pretty simple. You're asleep. <laughs> you wake up, and it's like, what the hell? You got tubes coming out of you everywhere. Okay, you got a thing in your mouth to help you breathing. You've got um, wires coming out of you everywhere. Wires on you everywhere. You got three tubes going into your stomach, um, you've got uh, catheter it in. It, it's just, you wake up and you're just, you've got all these wires, all these tubes coming out of you. It's, it's really bizarre. Um, so I woke up, I remember uh, coming to, and um, and yeah, I couldn't open my eyes, um, couldn't, couldn't move, still, you know, all drugged mm. up. And the one thing I had in my mind was, did I have the Ross procedure? Am I going to be Iron Man or am I going to be a normal man? Mm. And I wanted to be normal. So what I wanted was to hear that I had the Ross procedure. So I'm gradually coming to, but still, you know, couldn't open my eyes and just just drugged out, super groggy, and uh, couldn't speak. Said this, what do you call that thing that goes in you? What's that? Intubation. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah, that's right. So had that thing on. It was just like ugh, and um, I could hear my parents in the room, and um, my. Dad was uh, holding my hand. And um, when I was in, in primary school, um, Dad taught me sign language. Now, I hadn't used sign language for decades, mm. but for some freaky reason, it came back to me at that point. And I signed into my dad's hand the letters R O S S. Very slight. You can imagine, mm. like completely drugged up, and this it took all my energy <laughs> to to um, sign these these uh, four letters. And my dad, love him, but oh my god, <laughs> my dad was like Ross, Ross, mm. who's Ross? And I'm there going, oh, I just use all my energy to sign these four letters and you don't know what I'm talking about. And the nurse, thank God, was on her game. These these um, ICU nurses, by the way, absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. This nurse who was on her game said, oh, Terry, I think he's asking if, if he had um, the Ross procedure. And I was like, yes, yes. And Dad said, yes, yes, Nick, you had the Ross procedure. And oh, my God. I was the happiest man in ICU. Just stepping forward because we do want to talk about the push-up challenge. But you you open a laptop and with some resolve you decide you're going to bring those two things together. Push-ups for Hmm. the charitable cause and the charitable cause being mental health. Can we talk about that 
briefly and then cast forward into what 2020 looked like sure thing. and what 2021 will look like. So coming out of that surgery, I was, I was uh, in bed for a long time. You, you learn to um, build up your heart again. You, you, you do these walks, starts off with, you know, just 50 metres and then, you know, you build up from there. Um, but sitting in bed, bored, mm. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, what can I do? I know. I'll take push-up challenge to the to the next, next level. level. Mm. So, I made a couple of big decisions, and um, we can talk about that for for ranges. So, okay, let's 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 get this app ha- let's get this app happening. Let's build a, a proper website, and uh, let's look at how we can get this out to the masses. Right, so, there, in my bed, and with this massive scar down my chest. Um, I built the push-up challenge into into what it is today. So that recovery um, took place in, in the early months of um, what was that? In the early months of 2019, um, in preparing for um, the push-up challenge mid mid that calendar year. Uh, so there, in bed, <laughs> did all these things, uh, found all these people online to help me, and um, yeah, put a lot of effort into it. And that year, we had. Um, Almost 50,000 people taking part. Wow. Mm. Uh, so from four to 1,000 to 50,000. Yeah, to 50,000 people in, uh, in 2019. <laughs> and we raised um, $2.5 million for mental health. I still remember calling that charity, uh, calling Headspace, uh, who we partnered with that, that year, and said, oh, hey, guys, uh, you don't know me, <laughs> but I want to raise a million dollars for you. And they sort of laughed and, mm. you know, yeah. oh, yeah, that's good. Sorry, what was your name again? Where you from? <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, you do that. That'd be great. Mm. And um, uh, anyhow, we, we raised $2.5 million from him. And they obviously were stoked. Mm. I was stoked. And uh, not only that, but we had uh, 50,000 people doing push-ups, um, learning about mental health uh, along the way uh, and, and fundraising for mental health. Mm. So a lot of people were engaged in the event. Um, for, for those of you who haven't taken part in the challenge, um, the, the way it works is the number of push-ups uh, over the event uh, aligns with the number of people who uh, took their own lives in the previous year in Australia. Um, and then every day during the, uh, during the event, the target number of push-ups varies to reflect the mental health statistic. Okay? So, for instance, um, today the target is 45 push-ups because you know, 45% of people will suffer from a mental health disorder in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, tomorrow it's 120 because 120 minutes of exercise is recommended per week mm. to... You know, so there's a stat every day mm-hmm. and those stats add up to um, the, the total, number, number. total number of... Um, yeah. And I often get the question, I'll get the comment, Nick, um, you know, it's, it's usually just over 3,000 push-ups. They said, Nick, 3,000 push-ups, that's a lot. To which I say, yes, it is a lot. It's a lot of lives lost to suicide. Mm. So, and then, oh, okay, and the penny drops and, you know, they, they, they get on board. So it is a large number. It's a terrible number, mm. uh, but it's something we're not showing away from. And are we right in understanding that the next year, 2020, you, you had 130,000 participants? Yeah, so um, based, uh, leveraging the success of the, the 2019 event, uh, we ramped things up for, uh, for, for 2020 and we had over 130,000 participants across Australia all pushing for better mental health. And Did, money raised in 2020? About $5.1 million. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. Did COVID help? Great question, Ben. I think in some ways it did, in some ways it didn't. Mm. So the 2020 event was planned for June. If we can think back to the beginning of 2020, if we want to, <laughs> if we want to think about 2020. <laughs> Blocked it out. Yeah. 
the when things really started to go downhill, like in, in Australia in, in March, um, we started getting a lot of people contacting us saying, can you bring the event forward? Wow. Mm. Can you bring the event forward? We need something to do. Um, please um, bring the event forward. Now, we were about two months out from the event, um, which was scheduled for July, uh, no, scheduled for June, and we decided to bring it back to, to May, which brought our planning time <laughs> down, yeah. down from two months to a month. Panic stations, yeah. battle stations, how can we make this? So it was a very hard decision to make, um, but we did it, and... Um, yeah, so did it help us? Well, people were looking for something to do. So, um, you know, probably had a few more people being engaged in the event mm. because of that, um, which is awesome. So having, you know, having 130,000 people doing push-ups and learning about mental health was fantastic. So it probably helped out the Australian community um, at that time. Having said that, um, we didn't fundraise. I'm still very proud of the, of the $5.1 million yeah. raised and, and, and all the people around Australia that contributed to that. But it was looking very grim there for a while in yeah. terms of fundraising. People, there was so much uncertainty in Australia. Yeah. People didn't know if they were going to lose their jobs. A lot of people were losing their jobs. So we saw you know, the fundraising uh, sort of per person come right down, mm. um, which was you know, at first, you know, the first however many registrations, no one was fundraising, mm. which was, I mean, we're not all about fundraising. We're all about participation. Mm. But that was it was quite interesting to see that that people were you know mm. financially scared at that point because it costs nothing to enter and it is fundraising beyond that isn't it that's right and 2021 uh it's 3318 push-ups which represents those who died by suicide in 2019 which i think is the most recent um year that we have that's right so the um the the numbers on this are you know very carefully collated so mm. it's actually the the number from you know in effect two, two years, years ago yeah. yeah and let's talk about the involvement of your app because you can't just on day one do three thousand three hundred and eighteen <laughs> push-ups well you can't you can but they don't count right? <laughs> that's right so as I mentioned earlier um, so the target number of push-ups varies uh, per day um, our app which um, is getting a, a makeover at the moment uh, yeah, supports people through that. So they download the app uh, and then um, they can see how many push-ups um, they need to do. They can bank their push-ups, so tally them on the app. They can see how their mates are going uh, and they can also fundraise through the app as well. So we found the event works really well in teams. There's a bit of a team-building thing. Mm-hmm. so And it does allow for teams, so you can form a-, a team? Absolutely. So you know, the, the three of us, for instance, could form a team. I wake up in the morning. I see that you know, you Tim, you've already banked twenty push-ups. I'm like, oh God, <laughs> I'm already in the month. Yeah. <laughs> so I see that um, you know, maybe Tim hasn't done any, but but Ben's already smashed out a hundred. So oh, okay, I better you know, get in there and do my push-ups as well. Mm. So as a day. team, do we do three thousand three hundred eighteen, or do we each do three thousand three hundred eighteen? Yeah, great question. So the target is um, yeah, target's three thousand three hundred eighteen. Per person, however, you can take on twenty five percent, fifty percent, or seventy five percent of that target if you wish. You can also, for those of you who aren't massive fans of push ups, yeah. Um, so, Tim, I'm looking at you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do the handstand push ups. <laughs> yeah. yeah. we'll, we'll hold you to that. This has been, been recorded, right? Yeah. So, um, uh, you can do alternatives if you like. You can do sit ups. You can do squats. I've heard some people out there doing burpees. I won't Ooh. be doing burpees. That's that's next level. That's brutal. But uh, yeah, so, so uh, alternatives are allowed. And look, um, we found the event to be very uh, accessible. So mm. 
you know, as you said, it's free to take part, it's free for teams, it's great for workplaces. Mm. We had many workplaces um, in the 2020 event who had over 500 participants. Again, it's free for the workplace and a great way for them to engage their employees in mental health. And then they can see collectively how their workplace is going. So within their workplace, they might form you know, a workplace community uh, and then have various teams within that. Mm. Uh, and then they can say, well, our workplace as a whole mm. has, has done you know, a million push-ups yeah. uh, with so many teams. So it works very well um, to connect people like that. In 2020, uh, we, had a, we had a nine-year-old complete the event. Wow. Super cute. He was sending through all these videos of him doing push-ups. All his mum was sending his videos. Very cute. And we had a 92-year-old. That's uh, 92-year-old uh, Audrey in, um, in Queensland. Uh, she did wall push-ups. Mm. Uh, which which awesome. we absolutely support, and uh, we got footage of her. That's, that's on our um, on our Instagram and Facebook pages. That uh, push for better. Yeah, so we, it, it's a very appealing uh, event that um, is available to um, you know just about anyone. What's your dream for this year in terms of fundraising targets? Well, <laughs> we we always um, you know we always want to do um, better. We're, we're very passionate about uh, who we support in, in 2021. Uh, we're very proud to get behind both Headspace and Lifeline Australia, mm. uh, both you know, very reputable uh, organisations who do good things for mental health in Australia. Uh, in terms of a fundraising goal, well, we raised $5.1 million in, in 2020. It'd be great for that number to be higher. Mm. <laughs> How much higher? I don't know. I don't want to... You know, I don't want to say a big yeah. number and then let everyone, you know, have people feel like um, they haven't achieved anything. We don't hit that. But uh, I think, you know, if the Australian community rises and I think there's you know, a very good potential for, for, um, for more people involved, then, then who knows what we can achieve together. And so how do people find out a bit more about uh, the 2021 challenge and, and participate? Yeah, sure thing. So just go to uh, thepushupchallenge.com.au uh, or on your socials. Um, sorry, what is it in the socials? Push for better uh, on Facebook, Instagram, etc., and, and check it out from there. Again, it's free to register. You can register your interest now, um, and yeah, get involved in the event. And start date? Start date this year is the first of June. And concluding, your yes, 3,318 push-ups conclude when? On the twenty fifth. So this year it runs for uh, for twenty five days. Um, uh, we uh, there are three rest days in there. Uh, mm. Very generous three rest days. I'll do those. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, twenty five days. Beginning the, uh, the first of June. If if you're if you think your workplace uh, might be interested in taking part, um, yeah, we highly encourage you to, to get in touch with us um, so we can set your workplace up. Again, it's free and easy to be involved. Uh, we understand um, the Australian military uh, were involved in the event in, in 2020, which is great. We had uh, over 100 participants um, in, in different teams within within the Australian military. Look, that's pretty good, but uh, <laughs> the military yeah. are known for their push-ups, or amongst other things, they're mm-hmm. apparently pretty good yep. push-ups. So, look, I, I think we should be targeting all the challenge out there. Yeah, yeah. And and first responders and emergency services. True. Get your teams together. Let's yeah. make this a little bit of a challenge. Mm. We had a number of uh, yeah, fireys, ambos, police forces uh, in different states taking part. So, yeah, it'd be great to have uh, more people involved in uh, 2021. Well, I'm sure you will, Nick. Mate, thank you. Thank you for sharing your, your story with us. And in particular, thank you for what you're doing with the Push-Up Challenge. We look forward to seeing record numbers, both of participants of push-ups and of money raised. Mm-hmm. Handstand push-ups are committed. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to it. Ben, Tim, been an absolute pleasure. Thanks very much, guys. Good on you, man. The first time I left my home, the 
the darkest tunnels I will run if I lose my way or oh, I can cope I leave my largest fears behind and swim through this world of ice but I I won't give up my to the debrief. We try to go always a little further in this podcast and greatly appreciate your input. Please let us know your feedback, the good, the bad, or the ugly. 
Also, if you know someone who is living a life less ordinary, we'd love to hear about them. You can get in touch at debrief at unforgiving60.com. That's debrief at unforgiving60.com. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends and write a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Until next episode, keep filling your unforgiving minutes with 60 seconds worth of distance run. See you next time on The Unforgiving 60. Square.